0: At the time of this recording, we're right at the end of 2023. This probably won't go live, obviously, till 2024 or the early part of 2024. I've gathered my professionals to discuss what we see as an issue going forward into 2024, into 2025, and maybe have a kind of like bit of a discussion about some of the things that we're concerned about, which by proxy you should probably think about yourself And let's see where we go. Welcome to the RazorWire podcast, where we discuss all things in the information security and cybersecurity world, from current events and trends through to commentary from experts in the field, providing vital advisory on what it is to work in the information security and cybersecurity space. So, 2024, it's the end of 2023. Let's have a quick recap of what has occurred in 2023. We have had hack after hack. (laughs) I haven't seen a week that hasn't brought up some... It's like every day. ...high level. I mean, sometimes it is. In all honesty, it has been a ridiculous amount of ransomware attacks, ransom attacks people being shot to various different ombudsmen and uh, institutions who control areas like the sec for instance you know our our last debate was on the uh, which which has gone live at the, uh, the side of this was about how the sec are going after solar winds uh, CISO for various different reasons which we went into on the on the last one so I'll let let people kind of go back and look at that we've had updates in compliance obviously we've got up and coming pcr dss version 4 coming out iso's been through an update uh, NIST has been through an update we've had biden get on his soapbox and talk about securing ai we've had the uk government getting on the soapbox and talking about securing ai and we have had quite a bit of laser focus from a variety of different interest groups outside the security space who are really looking at security kind of like a big key aspect of business going forward, be it government institutions looking at their own security and going, it's pretty crap really, isn't it? You know, uh, through to organizations going, Hmm, I think we need to update what we're doing. Oh, but you know, we, we may or may not have more budget for it. It's been a bit of a funky year, 2023,
1: twenty not it? Yeah. It's,
0: it's one of those years that's also been
1: brought with global conflicts still. Yes. Uh, Ukraine, what's going off in the Middle East, obviously, the conti- yeah. uh, currently. Uh, so, yeah, to be honest, I'm quite frankly, it. it's been a bit, bit the shitbag of the year. I have to see the back of it.
2: Do you find that the um, like the, the physical global conflicts that's happening, um, are they sort of taking, taking away some of the limelight from, from the digital world and... Um, I know there's still, I know the uh, ransomware attacks and the official and the attacks are still going on, but, you know, instead of being like forefront of the news that the, the, co- the conflicts have taken a little bit, taken the limelight and then hackers would have been able to just go back into the dark a little bit and, and had a bit, a bit more of a free
0: reign. I think it's been compounding it. I think what it has shown is that now the sabres are rattling in various different parts of the world. You've got people who are normally pretty quiet Mm. who are also starting to rattle the sabers. And then we had the big water company hack, which was allegedly from, from certain part of the yeah. Middle East who shall remain nameless. And I think what's happening is it's the it cause and effect, really. I think I, I get the, kind of get the impression from speaking to various different people who are much more in the know than I am on what's going on on the dark web, um, although I do keep track of myself as much as I can. It's kind of difficult with my day-to-day job, but there's a lot of, state sponsoring going on of hacking groups and if you're a a decent hacking group that can prove your worth of what you can do which weirdly enough always seems to be in kind of the ransomware space um, pretty easily you can go out and get a bit of sponsorship through back channels from a variety of different organizations who may or may not be related to government affiliated organizations to get you know remit to go out and attack what they consider their, their enemies to be has it taken the limelight away? I don't think it has. If anything, it's expanded it. There was a the UK government, came out in
1: December as a state in like Russian sponsored state attacks were ongoing in terms of yeah. hacking activity as well, calculated to the UK, the UK electoral commission got, um, uh, happened in, uh, in August as well. Where you got like sort of
0: somebody opening up a phishing
1: attack. Yeah, 40 million people's personal information. What <laughs> like, was the most gained access to it? Yeah.
2: I was just wondering if it's, um, I mean, I know, but the, the the two always go related, don't they? So there's, the, the digital world always is, is always going to be carrying on. And we're always going to say, Russia hacking this, Russia had a hand in X, Y, and Z. But then if they start smashing windows over here, we stop looking at that and then concentrate on the windows. Is that more of a like a
0: like a smoke screen? I I see what you're saying. And I think if you if we were talking about this, say, seven or eight years ago, where people actually trusted the general media, true, then (laughs) we would we would see that kind of activity going on. But I think since kind of all the the stuff around COVID, whether you've whether you accepted it, whether you didn't accept it, whether you got the vax, whether you didn't get the vax, whether it came from a certain part of, of China in a certain lab that you know all of this information we found was completely massively manipulated and suppressed whether I, you know I don't care whether people are on one side or the other I'm just looking at the, the the cold hard facts of the of the way media has been manipulated and finally the public although most of us have probably known this for quite a while now especially in this space that I don't think anybody trusts the media anymore I really don't people are going to youtubers people are going to instagram People are going to Reddit. I know people who listen to the media, read between the lines, and then go off and find the actual information elsewhere. I don't listen to the news anymore, I'll be honest. There will be a time where I'd sit down and listen to the news of an evening. But quite frankly, I don't trust any of it because it's been proven to be full of crap anyway. So I don't know. I think you know, independent media and independent reporting has shown, as well as information coming out of the breach notification websites and the various different the ransomware sort of attack websites and breach notification websites where they try and force you to, to pay has actually shown how bad the situation really actually is. And it, it doesn't help when you have companies or organizations actually coming to the fore and saying we we have had a security issue because they're being forced to do it. Only to find out it wasn't them necessarily that got hacked, it was their third party who, you know, got hacked and it wasn't just their information that got released. It turns up that it's a ton of other organisations as well. Um, I mean, we're going to probably go on to how the changes in the tactics for attacks have have been occurring shortly. But I think from from a news point of view, the awareness around security has been so much better and so much better reported that, no, I don't think at this moment in time it has been detracting from anything else. Whether that will change when the elections kick off?
1: Is this Chris trying to put a tinfoil hat moment in again with his one well, of wonderful conspiracy theories? You know
0: what?
2: I did think about it then. I thought we've done a, we have done a conspiracy theory podcast, so I probably don't want to bring that in. But it just seems uh, like you just mentioned on the media. You know, you 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 have you have this pretend virus, and then that doesn't quite work. And then we all right, let's 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 push the wall, and oh, that's not working. Oh, I'll push another wall, like oh.
0: I mean, we we have had it before. Obviously, we, we had it we had it with that certain virus that was unleashed on a certain country's nuclear program, you know, True. that came out, and that was well before any of this. I think, I think the problem is we just can't trust any any information coming out of of government bodies or state, definitely not state owned media like our beloved British Broadcasting <laughs> Corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, or any of the big boys. I mean, let's face it. We've known for years that most of the media is run by at least what two or three blokes at the top who pretty much own everything. So yeah. it's just natural that people, eventually, especially the younger generation, who are used to going elsewhere to get their their media, or get their news rather, that that they won't they won't believe the the mainstream.
2: Yeah, I think we've got a we've got a window of about another ten years before mainstream media is
0: that obsolete. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's going to be that long. I'll be honest. Look at, I I tend to like looking at pop culture and the way pop culture goes because the way pop culture goes tends to be the way because it's to do with quite often the youngsters driving it at this moment in time, and none of them like you know, the, the, the current big boys or the news that's coming out, the current big boys, you know, like Disney and all the rest of it. You know, Disney are on their knees at the moment. Every single film they've released in the last year has pretty much flopped. And the last couple of Marvel films or last Marvel film flopped even harder than, than pretty much anything else, whether you love it or hate it or whatever. And I think the pop culture has been going towards a lot of people who are just very mistrustful of of authority and very mistrustful of where information comes from i think it, it will mean that there's going to be a, a potential for significant misinformation and rumors starting up i wonder why we've had so many breach notifications in the last year because it's not you know although it has sped up from previous years it, it really has we still have breaches back then big ones too
1: I think it's more, more of a reflection on there are more requirements for reporting from a legislation point of view. There's that uh, the SEC, obviously, they've got got a bit more hardline and with the K9 form and and GDPR, obviously, has it. Uh, and a lot there's a lot more privacy legislations as well that require reporting to uh, certain supervisory authorities, not just Europe, but well, D- Brazil, Dora, look at China. Ian.
2: What what is the uh, what what is the the threshold for having to report? So I'll just have a quick read because obviously we've done
1: I've done absolutely no research for this podcast whatsoever. From a GDPR point of view, it depends if it poses a high risk rights and freedoms of the data subject, the individual, affected by that breach. So if it's uh, like their bank details, or if they basically if they got those details, if they go on commit fraud with those details, that would pose a high high risk to that individual. You then have to inform the ICO the in the UK, for example, and the data subject say, sorry, we've had a breach. The resource, so that those are kind of the thresholds really that from a GPR point of view that you need to report within 72 so hours, you need to inform the supervisor authority. So you've got that window and stuff like that, but uh, a lot of organizations sometimes just take the stance of, well, actually we're just going to hold our hand up here because it's been out in the news. It's already been out, but we're still going to mm-hmm. have to say, Sorry, we've had a breach. Actually, you're not at complete high risk. You are at some risk, but we're going to do the good thing, you know, and tell you what's going on. So you get those kind of cases.
2: I was was just having a a research as we're we're talking, because they are. Because that's what you do. Yes, mate. Yeah, Yeah, because that's what I do. And, you know, some of the trends that they're looking at uh, for 24 is obviously enhanced artificial intelligence attacks. But predicting that they'll attack more of a smaller business rather than the big boys. What's the compliance on them? Is it does it not matter on
1: size of business? It is literally. How? There are like limitations when you need a DPO and stuff
0: like that. But in terms of the reporting, no, nah, doesn't matter. Well, there's two things there, isn't there? First and foremost, Adora's is going to definitely change the way things work in Europe come early 2025. But I think you know, with with AI technology being Rapidly advanced at the moment with a lot of companies working on it, a lot of bad actors working on it. Pretty much everybody and their, and their mother is working on it. They're not going to unleash their, their first set of tools on the big boys. They're going to unleash their first set of tools on much smaller targets so they can test that puppy out, see how effective and efficient it is. You need that data to learn
1: from. So, you know, you're not going to necessarily get positive results from the big boys, so to speak.
0: I mean, I, th- I think we're still away yet from really being really concerned about it, but I don't think it's go- as, as long as the as people think it's going to be. It, 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 this is the problem with, with new technology, isn't it? It could either take ages to develop and refine, or it is refined in literally next to no time. Before you know it, I mean, look at the internet. Yeah. You know, the internet came out. It was horrible. It was slow. Didn't take long for it to speed up. <laughs> I think it's with the AI thing, it's a fear from like it's
1: easier to make phishing emails and stuff like that more convincing and stuff. It's the easier, what you see is the common approach, but making that easier to craft and to perform in terms of your way into a business, which is usually through the human. That's one of the big things that you'll probably see is more AI based phishing like crafted fishing and stuff like that and that not necessarily just email but more three dimensional from a deepfakes you know like the, mm. from the voice from ringing up a help desk, say, this is jim the md of razor thorn you know everybody's it help desk, not uh, but it's not so and uh, also the deepfakes kind of roll into another thing that i was going to speak about but for later which is like the geopolitical risk and right that's going to happen the next year with all the elections and stuff like that as well because you're going to get all that misinformation campaign it all kind of gets swept into that you know what i mean as well with ai being used as that but you can spin it on its head you can also use the ai as a defensive as well so you've got various products out there now that obviously all claim to you know be ai and stuff like that that
2: is literally terminator if we've got ai fighting ai
1: we're, there. We're almost there, aren't we? We're literally a robot. Well, that's fine. They're not fighting against the humans. That, that is completely fine. That is not a Terminator scenario. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Yet. <laughs> it's not a Skynet.
0: I mean, we are a few. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think I uh, did a podcast the other, the other week on this one. Three of us discussed the future of artificial intelligence. We did a return to artificial intelligence. And I was very much the transhuman of the group. We had another person who was like, "No, biology is everything, and it's never going to be a thing, and I don't you know don't believe that it's going to become sentient." And then we had another person who believed it was going to become sentient. So it, it was a pretty good debate. We're going to get the rise in it, we're at a unique point in technology. This is my point. You nice. mentioned a lot of deep fakes. So let's go down that route. It is going to be eminently easier if you have any type of presence on the internet to create a video of you slapping a small child, and then releasing it and saying, oh, Ian Pye slapped small child. Use me as an example, I'll use you as one. <laughs> and before you know it, you're cancelled. Everybody knows that Ian Pye allegedly slapped a small child. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. It doesn't matter if it's true. It doesn't matter. It destroys lives. False accusations have always been a bad one. But the third problem with deep fakes is you're showing what could be real. And no matter how much you say it's not real, people say, well, prove it's not real. Okay. Mm. So do you want me to prove it's not real, or, or do you want to just...
2: i just believe it, yeah. You'd have to prove that it was a deep fake, as opposed to it's not real, because you can't prove you haven't done something, unless you was... Especially like that, something nice and easy like Celebrity Smacks Child. Well, when did it happen? Where That's and difficult to prove but it. surely it's easier to prove that look th- what video you're seeing here is a deep fake and this is where it, th- this is where it came from
0: but this is where I see the danger being because in in this day and age with cancel culture being such a big thing you don't need nobody, nobody gives stuff about the fact checking that goes on yeah it's, it, is, it is a risk
1: you're going to see a lot more of that type of tactic being used especially next year because you've got the US elections yeah Possibly a UK one, well, you've got oh, the, uh, Belgium, I think it's got one as the well. There's loads, there's 40, that's what I've read anyway. There's 40 elections going around on around uh, EU elections as well, parliamentary elections. So you're going to get oh, uh, a, a raft of these deep fake thi- types, style of disinformation tax going on, state sponsored, possibly a lot of them as well. Although it is kind of, it does kind of dip de- 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 so into those in cybersecurity, like because of isn't that it. A tactic that it can be used within organizations and for personal attacks as well against a person to use, to get personal data out of someone for you, you know, then, then, then it could be used to open up like a bank account. It's that type of stuff. It will all be turned on its head to uh, target businesses and individuals, not just those campaigning in these elections. That's one of my predictions going to see a big Rising like deepfakes and use of AI in that, t- in that sphere that 2024.
2: We're going to move from originally blackmailing a politician to
0: creating a fake whatever using deepfake AI to then blackmailing a politician. Or just create a voice, just create a voice print yeah. And then get them to say whatever and say, oh, this was a recording done, you know, in a secret meeting over blah-de-blah boom, all of a sudden, you know, how can you disprove that that wasn't you? You could say it to you blue in the face as a politician and people's, the people on one side are going to go, oh, I believe you, you know, because obviously they're on that side. You're going to get a whole raft of other people who wish it was so on the other side going, no, I don't take that because I don't want you to win anyway. And then there'll be a load of people yeah. in the middle who will flop either one way or the other or they'll sit there and go, I have no idea.
2: No, so it's a huge thing for... Um, especially like saying how many elections you've got coming up, It's purely because you, if you've got a backing, you've either got a backing or you haven't, and then you've got the middle people that you need to sway. Something like that sways them the opposite side, doesn't it? doesn't matter what, what defence you have for it. If you're trying to sway someone to, to your side and they're sitting on the fence a little bit, they're not going to vote for you if they hear the, the slightest thing, whether they know it's whether they think it's fault, true or false or something. That's just going to tip them off the edge to, to be opposed to you anyway.
0: But this is it. I mean, you, there's also that blended threat of you know utilizing artificial intelligence so you'll have bots going out saying oh have you seen the latest video of so and so saying that they're going to ship weapons to these these bunch of bad people oh you know here here's the link to it to the recording you know and, and it can happen almost instantly you can have what the AI composes anybody and it can go out and say mm. oh, i'm frank i'm dave i'm phyllis i'm Angela, yeah, and before brilliant. you know it, I don't know, I just picked out names. <laughs> anyway, I apologize to anybody out there called Phyllis for, on behalf of the Empire. He's great right, name. I love it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's all blended threats. And we've. it's not just threats to organizations that we've got to be concerned about these days. The, the, the information security sphere is rapidly widening because we we can look after our organizations from a lot of attacks because we've got the resources to do it. But your average human being doesn't have an InfoSec person at hand that they can go to who can help them out. A few times you, uh, you guys have been asked by somebody you know, oh, I've, I've had a bit of a problem with my laptop. Can you help me out? You know, how long has it taken for you to t- kind of help them out? In Chris's case, many years.
2: I'm going to say, no, gonna
0: many, <laughs> many years. Probably <laughs> not
2: as long as the average person just by being in this world. Chris will probably <laughs> just go, have
1: you spoken to me
2: Yeah. Have you turned it off and have you turned it back on again? Have you done a power
1: cycle? That's it. Oh, classic.
0: But we're at a stage where power cycles don't work so well anymore when it comes to security threats. In fact, it's probably worse to do the power cycle than it is to just leave it where it is. I think this is where 2024 is going to be very much a year for InfoSec. And this is why I think it's going to be important to get the right type of information out there as much as possible. That's part of the reason we do these podcasts and stuff. I know, you know, we like to take piss. We like to to joke about it. But there's so much misinformation about what InfoSec is and where it stands. And we need to kind of get out, really, that, that there are some significant risks, not only to our organizations, but our government institutions and personal risks as well and to try and kind of show people that you can live in your bubble and hope that something will never happen to you but it's be- becoming increasingly the case where it will whether it's tangentially through a third party who you know your bank who who screws up and all of a sudden your account details gets given away somebody you bought something from has a failure and your card details are nicked along with your your, your name and address and what have you in which case identity theft becomes a thing it's getting increasingly easier to have your identity stolen, especially if artificial intelligence is developed to a more sophisticated level. Because it won't be a human that will be stealing your identity. It will be something that's a hell of a lot quicker and a hell of a lot more efficient. Skynet. Um, Skynet, yeah. And that's when they create a cyborg of Chris who comes out (laughs) naked and tries to kill (laughs) us all. Whoa. Or itself, what it realizes what
1: it's become. Uh, <laughs> it's a societal risk there as well. It's, uh, all this it's going to affect all. You can say you live in your bubble and stuff like that, uh, but you could end up because of the risks posed by this disinformation and you could end up with a proper right wing Tory government in place next year. You know, you could end up with anything. It's a societal risk at the end of the I day. I can't
2: believe he's brought a political agenda into this.
0: <laughs> I'd like to point out that that the Wire is a completely apolitical podcast. It's only Ian yes. that has the very one way of thinking. That doesn't
1: like the Tories. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that side as a joke, it, it, it does have a societal impact. It will have a yeah. societal impact potentially. It'll affect millions. It's not might not affect you greatly personally, but it'll affect the way that you live your life further down the line as well. So, this is the biggest scope of it.
2: Yeah, I think it, so jump on on the back of that what you're saying there. Um I think I think we have to prioritize training in 24. Uh, you know from corporate training and security teams and IT teams even down to indivi- like you're just saying about individual individuals having something on a laptop. I don't know I, I don't know how that's going to work but to, to roll out actual training of what to look for you know we're not saying that everyone needs to be uh, a hacker or um, in in IT and know what to do with it you, you know my grandma's not going to know what to do with that but at least be able to See the signs, um, and I think a bit more training on that, a bit more security awareness.
1: Following on from that, though, when the poo does hit the proverbial van, it's more the what do you do when the crap happens? What's your operational resiliency plan? And I think that that is going to be a big focus for twenty twenty four as well, because you've got DORA coming out, you've got all these uh, the Cyber Resilience Act, you've got the UK Company Resilience Act, which I can't remember is actually called which is a few years down the line, which is, it's, well, it's not just cyber focus. It's how do you keep your business running in one of these situations where you've been hacked, you've had been, it's happened to you, your data has been breached, or they've taken away critical systems. You've got ransomware and stuff like that. That is going to be a big thing for the, it's a big focus for going forward in 2024 and beyond because of all the other wonderful legislation coming into place. It's like, how is your organization going to have to learn the hard truths, take a really hard look at what you're doing and go, if that falls over or it gets breached can we keep running our businesses, can we still serve our customers, can we still do what we need to do, can we need to save the lives of this, these people in the hospital. It's that type of stuff that I think is also going to be going beyond 2024 that's going to be a big focus as well. You've got the cyber element, but there's the other part of the business as well.
2: Yeah. What happens if our cyber size goes down? Does that does that interfere and, and stop all our our logistics side of it, for instance? Because it's exactly. all run digi- it's all run digitally. We don't think of it like that. But yeah, if someone hacks Amazon.
1: Are you gonna to have to buy runners just to run back and forth with a piece of paper?
2: You just think of Amazon delivering your parcel from a from a van, but the cyber the digital side is what runs everything, isn't
1: it? Huge.
0: But this yeah. is what I've got a big, big problem with. And years ago, the, the British government turned around and said, we would like somebody to come in and help us develop a uh, security standard for IoT that we can set as a standard. So if you want to do any IoT devices in the UK, boom, you know, you can you can do it to this standard. And they went out and got the cheapest possible company or set of companies to do it. I mean, looking at how the UK has been handling their problems with inflation or not handling it, depending upon what your what media you're eating, if they can't handle simple economics and, and inflation redu- reductive tactics, how in the name of all that's unholy are they going to deal with the massively complex cybersecurity aspects of securing government institutions, providing adequate training to the pub general public on how to handle Infosec or how to what to look out for. They're not going to. You look at some of the there's some really good people I know who are, have been talking to government for a number of years and saying, can you get together a great group of Infosec professionals across all walks of life from all different types of organizations? We can work collectively to create something that actually works. And they're like, well, you know, we could do that, but we've got Dave around the corner who knows something about InfoSec, so we'll just bring him in. That, that's, that sounds like a lot of work, getting a group of people together to actually help us build this standard. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I'm probably going to do myself a wrong in here as an organization, but let's look at Cyber Essentials. It's laughable. It's about as laughable as you can get. It, does it provide any level of guarantee of a baseline of security?
2: Well, no, because it, it probably did day one it was introduced, and then day two it, it was obsolete because they don't keep they're not keeping up with the trends. They're just saying it's like an MLTP car, isn't it? Oh, right, it's all good, and how later this it, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, I get the
1: uh, I might actually defend cyber essentials here. Wow, hmm. brace yourself. Damn. <laughs> so. I get the premise of it, and it's great for small companies' baseline. Like if you're a two, three, four, five man shop, yeah, it's a perfect baseline. If your business is, I don't know, like welding or something like that. Whereas the baseline for entry to supply government contracts, that I disagree with because I don't think it goes in far enough, neither does Safasos Plus. But for a baseline for an organization that's really small company, you could see it has its use there because they're not going to want to go on an ISO 27001 route, are they? Let's be honest, because they won't be able to afford it unless their contracts stipulate that and, you know, mm. they've got the quiet step requirements. and stuff. But if you're just doing it and you're running a welding shop or a mechanic down the road, yeah, you've got IT systems, haven't you? Obviously, you know, the MOTs, the the database in that and the stuff you're going to have your contract management and stuff like that yes it's a nice baseline for you to go actually yeah we've done the thick, we've done the billy basics that we can we don't have the resources to do the rest that's where i see a plus side of cyber essentials
2: but but then billy basics i are... thought
1: i'd ever say that yeah <laughs> yeah
2: but then billy basics as, like you say a, a week later though that that's yeah, moved on would, would it not that. be
1: you can't continuously test these small companies because they don't have the resources to. It's about managing your risk and you know, what's your acceptance of that? Yeah, at the end of the day. But for a
2: small company, would it not be easier to... So a small company, essentially, their IT systems are going to... like Let's say the mechanics, for instance. Their IT systems are going to register the vehicle, MOT pass-off fails, then goes on to um, the DVLA. So it's going into a government website where they can track, monitor and... Uh, and that's what it does. If that's what they're doing, instead of instead of having the, the smaller companies keep up to date with the, the cyber essentials, for instance, would it not just be easier for, for the cyber essentials to control that and keep up with the trends? And you sort of use them, that workshop, uses using the government as their third party, and they they literally just give them all the information, and then
0: they deal with it. Mm. That's great if you've got like a cyber security person on staff.
2: Yeah, that's what I mean. So if you can just hand it over.
0: You know, if you, if you are a small insurance company who are like four people, you know, and you've outsourced your, your IT and you're reliant on that IT company to do your security as well, let's face it, most IT companies I've come across on the, who serve the small side of, of the fence, they don't normally have an InfoSec person like a CISO or any, anybody like that. They normally have somebody who once read something about InfoSec and, and you know... Sorry, I'm being really unfair to people out there who run our small IT companies, but they're not going to be able to keep up to the same level that a security professional does. I mean, we do it all the time. We have to stay up to date. I don't know how any of us stay up to date with with the speed of change of things that are going on at the moment. We can't learn everything that's going on. We have to talk amongst ourselves in weirdly enough forums like this to, to get, oh, I didn't know that that was a bit of legislation coming through the door, or I didn't realize that there was, there'd been a change to this or the bad guys have been evolving the way that they undertake their attacks, which is obviously something we're going to go into in a second. How long is our, let's, let's look at it. Let's look at it objectively. Ian, you're the, you're our DPO bod. I've been out of this for a few years now because I have no obviously ever laid, you know, Evolved into a much greater area of infosec. Higher, uh, big. But how, wh- <laughs> when was when was the Data Protection Act first put in? 1998. Okay. When was it updated?
1: 2018. When GDPR came
0: in. Cool. So how many years has that been where it hasn't changed at all? Last oh, maths twenty. <laughs> Hey, I'm a DPO, not a mathematician. <laughs> you, you You put in InfoSec into your organization now and you don't touch it for 20 years. How effective do you think your defense and depth and your InfoSec is going to be? Um,
1: be like using an IBM computer from the 1980s. Uh, not
0: very effective. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we've got to do better. I don't know how this one's going to get fixed because the problem is is we keep up to date because we're in the profession. People who are not in the profession, they're not going to keep up to date with, it, with with what's going on. Even in IT. Do, I know a lot of IT people do a great job. They do a great job of security, firewalling, endpoint security. They don't do a lot of what we do because we do a lot of the GRC stuff that they don't necessarily do and quite often won't do. Fair play to them. But they don't also keep... Well, fair play to them. Yeah, no, I don't keep up on the latest nuances of Microsoft licensing, which seems to change every two seconds, and the way that they operate their infrastructure within Azure. Cyber criminals, however, they're always changing their tactics because they have to. They don't want to get caught. They want their tactics to be effective and get what they want, which is money. It's a quick and easy way of getting money. They're much better funded than we are, first off. They earn more than we do, second off, which I'm sorry, InfoSec professionals out there, the bad guys who are good at this, they get paid way more than we do. So there's way more incentive for them. Don't get Chris ideas. <laughs> 2024, Chris gets arrested. <laughs> but, you know, we're, 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 kind of in, we're, kind of, we're kind of screwed as a society. We're really screwed. We're so now reliant on big institutions to give us our social media for them to give us like our you know websites so we can deal with our tax which have got massive institutions behind them which has normally been brought in by the the cheapest bidder and let's be honest and I've got to be really unfair to some of the big integrators there you know who you are and anybody listening to this knows who they are they are rubbish at security I don't care who they are they are terrible I have come across all of them one point or another don't I wouldn't trust them at all yet they're the ones that are securing hmrc
2: it's a difficult one because you need to go into the private sector to get the best out of it to get the best on the market the best people and, and keep up with the current trends but then it's going to cost you the most money if you go down exactly what you just said if we go down like cyber essentials or no matter what it is you know coming from the middle i, I want to do love seeing is i don't know a torch for instance a torch on sale Military grade eight, I think, right, well, that means it's shit because they bought the cheapest, most nastiest crap they could find. So don't put that on, you know, th- th- this has been used for this government. This is, th- it is It is the worst bit. It is the, the lowest on the market, but people can't afford the best. So that's, they're going to have to go for exactly what the, the government are doing, which is cheap, cheerful.
1: Go on, Ian. There is one possible answer to this and it's what we spoke about already. AI.
0: AI as a defence. Yeah. That's great. But do you think the government are going to buy the most expensive best AI going? Or the one that's been provided to them by the cheapest (laughs) the cheapest provider. Who did or not who who, just cheap it? Who did or (laughs) didn't provide provide a cab with a with a suspicious looking group of sort of like brown envelopes in the back with a few names on them. Let's look at it. They can't even do PPE without assigning it to somebody in the husband of somebody in government to the oh. tune of like 500 million quid.
1: And, and then it ends up in the
0: Isle of Man. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm sorry. 60 million. You know, I'm, and I'm going to be really unfair to our government now. They're never, they're never going to talk to me, but well, probably won't anyway. You know, we've got our, our prime minister going on saying how artificial intelligence needs to be secured, blah, 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 and all the rest of it. And his wife, his wife is only on the board of one of the biggest Indian-based tech providers. It's like, oh right, where's that going to come from then? Yeah, I don't blame them. <laughs> the man of morals speaks. <laughs> We're not getting the best of the best anymore. The last time I saw a, a real, really good group of individuals be brought together in the infosec space, I'll be honest, is the Cybersecurity Forum Initiative (CSFI). Look it up if if <laughs> if you've if you've never seen it before where uh, Paul De Souza, I think I've probably butchered his name, got together initially a group of really good InfoSec people to help build out a framework for the US and the US sort of military and governments and all the rest of it. And I was part of it quite early on, along with a, a few others as well. And I've, I've seen them evolve into this really good professional group of individuals who are very good at advising people who should be in the know. About InfoSec matters. Do they always get it right? Probably not. You know, nobody does, but, you know, at least it's something. Uh, I mean, what have we got?
2: Probably a Minister of Cyber Security that
1: has never touched a long time in his life.
0: It'll be a junior minister as well. It's like the British UK Health Minister who was in charge during the, the lockdowns, who have never worked in a hospital his entire life. No, I don't. What yeah. the hell is he doing?
2: Well, uh, <laughs> when you bring governments and, and politicians into it, you you're never even going to get close to getting it on the right, they're never even going to get on the right tracks, not even the right road. Because they can't really do anything. I know we're, we're, this is a apolitical, but no, we, we've decided to venture it on. They can't really do anything. You can't bring something in that you, you know is probably going to be tossed out in three and a half years. Yeah. So just literally like, okay, let's do the bare minimum. Just to get that tick in the box, just to get them cyber essentials tick in the box. Right, we're good now. Up until the next hit.
0: But I mean, this leads me on to, you know, onto compliance. This is this is a one that Ian loves. I think that compliance these days needs to change dramatically, and I think the way that we audit organisations security needs to change dramatically as well. Two organisations are very very different in the way that you apply security the way that they have their assets, the way that they conduct themselves, the way that their cu- you know, culture is. And I think rather auditors, rather than getting this, still this here nowadays, people say, oh, audits, they're just checkbox exercises. And there's a reason why people say that, because they see the little tick that goes in the in place or not in place, or yes, you've got it, no, you haven't got it. Um, and most of the time you self-assess and most companies will lie anyway. Um, and it doesn't prove any level of security. I'd love to see a compliance model whereby auditors are vetted by a, a, a group—you a, know—a group of peers to get in to become an auditor, and are then unleashed on an organisation and told, "Can you kind of assess how secure this organisation is?" And rather than just producing a nice sign-off tick sheet with how you prove that you did your checks that you get a report like when a company says can you tell us how secure we are please and you get this report and it has a thing called an executive summary which kind of outlines in in very simple easy to term language whether or not you've got a problem there and then a full report that outlines where they're doing it well where they're not doing it well and where improvement can occur and some kind of badging system if that's what they want to do an organization can then present and say, we're we're at this level of security. And then people can decide whether or not they want to take the risk of dealing with an organization who maybe has a a much lower badge than, say, another organization who has a much more platinum-looking badge or a gold badge or whatever. You know, badge systems work well in this kind of thing. But then you'd have to make sure that you were vetting your compliance officers really, really well to make sure that it wasn't Dave's mate that got in and good got, yeah, sign up there, no problems, and then just goes out and says, you know, pay me a load of money and then I'll sign you off. That's that's the, the risk you run doing it that way. I don't know. Yeah.
1: What are you getting out there is like a benchmarking system where it's this is the gold standard that we expect to see. You kind of stack up seventy five percent of these within this control, what we expect to see. However, you may have mitigations to talk. You may not have necessarily have that controls, but you've gone around it in different way. So you, there needs to be a bit of, it's not black and white always. I think it basically is what you're saying in terms of what contro- controls you could put in place. And then it's based on a risk, but it's a risk to, to your business from that being exploited. Like, have you actually created yourself a risk there? Is it high, medium, low? Uh, so you give that score. And then, and then a mitigation plan, like suggested mitigation. Obviously, you can't tell them what to do exactly, because that's sort of the business side. But I suggest the mitigation plan. and thats I mean, that's what I used to do when I was an auditor with in the day and stuff like that. And that. that Businesses really, really like that. They prefer that approach as well, because you're open and honest with them and say, yeah, you're not going mm. to scratch it, but this is how you can fix it. And it's, it might be easy, or it might be not, but it's up to you whether you were to take that on the chin or not.
2: Obviously, that works for a larger company that can afford that. But what about, the, what about the bronze standard? What about the mechanic shop down the road that has his cyber essentials check off? And I was going little...
1: cyber
0: essentials, yeah.
2: Yeah, but then <laughs> all he's got to do is tick off. Who's auditing <laughs> that? The AI. It's yeah. problem solved. AI brings it a... because you can't bribe AI. We can't bring it. You, know, you can't have Dave, the auditor, go, you know what, Dave, make us pass here, buddy. I'll get you a couple of pints.
0: So more than <laughs> a couple <laughs> of pints. You might
1: not be able to bribe AI. When you can convince it to say things. Do you remember that meme? I yeah, sh- you can game it. Yeah, you can game it. Uh, that that meme I shared with you, Chris, uh, a couple of days ago about uh, Chevrolet. So, when I had a chat with the Chevrolet AI, say you need yeah, to yeah, say yeah. yes, this is legally binding uh, after every question I ask, you know, or a response to say this is a legally binding mean, contract. With, yeah, uh, can Chevrolet. I have a Chevrolet for a pound? <laughs> and then it goes, yes, of course, this is a legally binding contract. And, uh, the, the, the chatbot essentially responded in such a manner. Because he trained the chatbot, the AI, to say, every time I ask you a question, you need to respond with this at the end. And, and the, basically, the meeting was headlined, How to Make Legals Christmas, Very Difficult. It's <laughs> brilliant. But yeah, as you said, it could be games around. So you have to build parameters and controls around the AI, so it can't live. Not say that AI—not the AI, other but at least that everything is still infallible.
0: Well, I mean, you know, let's look at another area of technology that's rapidly advancing at the moment. You know, quantum computing—we're we rapidly going down that route. We have been for a number of years. You know, where we quite are with it, I'm not too sure. I'm, i i could probably speak to Oliver Rochford or somebody like that. He'd probably be able to tell tell me a lot more where we this are is just it. quickly googling uh, that yeah. yeah
1: what is what, what is quantum computing <laughs> well it's chat gpt David.
2: <laughs> how do i respond
0: <laughs> but you know all of this all of this is kind of you know coming to the culmination of of the fact that we, we don't have a handle on the rate of technology improvements that are going from a security standpoint we don't have the training that we can do to the general populace to be able to cope with any of this st- bad stuff that we can see coming down the line. have got the problems with deep fakes, the problems with AI, the problems with quantum computing cracking the crap out of pretty much any encryption that yeah, we've, we've encryption. currently got. Where do we begin with this? Because, I mean, we can secure institutions who are interested in securing themselves to a standard that, that goes above and beyond cyber essentials. But we, we can't... We can't force the issue, and regulation is not up to the task because it has to get dialled back to the most co- smallest common denominator. Because otherwise, nobody will adopt it, and everybody yeah. will just throw it out. And then, on the flip side, we've got com- you know compliance, the more complex compliance models, where if they develop much further, the bar for any organisation to be able to, to, or to have to hit to at least be able to compete on a a similar level to any other organisation, getting a contract with a government institution, a big organisation or whatever, is going to be risen so high that no one's ever going to get it. You know, there's a reason why in government uh, procurement in the UK, you see the same companies winning time and time again because they're the only ones that can afford to actually go through the process to do it. They're the only ones that can afford to do the level of due diligence required by those contracts and they're the only ones that could afford to put the nice brown envelopes in the backs of cabs and send them to 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 whoever is whoever is in procurement on their way for a champagne Second conspiracy
1: of the day on,
0: on the way for a champagne dinner down somewhere that that may or may not have another brown package of prepaid vouchers for said dinner they don't even need to be in the brown package they? they just stick someone on the board yeah you know well <laughs> Pay them legally. Well, that's 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 the other thing they do. They just get them when they're ministers to say, yes, let's go down this route, and then surprisingly they get a job for the same people. That didn't didn't happen to any medical organizations that may or may have not created certain vaccines. Nope. Not at all. I don't know. I think 2024 is going to be really hard. I'm already seeing running a con, you know consultancy. The massive ramp in security testing, people wanting more security testing than the average sort of test, one, one test a year, you know, the snapshot in time. Yeah. The Razor's Edge our continuous pen testing platform. This is not a ad for it at all. I mean, we've got a, m- a huge waiting list of POCs, you know, we're going live with that in its final version at the end of January. And we've, we've already booked out on POCs for months which kind of goes to show that people don't see security assurance anymore as something you do once a year or after a significant check, you know, a significant change. Yeah. You can't afford to wait <laughs> no. anymore.
2: I do I do think, like you're saying, 24 has to be, You have to, as a company, you have to pump m- money and resources into continuous pen testing, into business resilience uh and crisis plans if, you, if you've got it if what what happened if something goes wrong can Instant we carry response. on function oh,
0: Incident yeah.
2: response and then and the final third is security awareness and, and and training so as soon yeah. as we start seeing seeing a hole here somewhere with continuous pen testing um then we have to train on it literally instantaneously
0: so what do you think ian
2: yeah, I'm
1: going to have to agree with it. No.
0: I'm going to say,
2: oh. I, I knew that it was going to happen, so I got that in there first, because that's the only way you can go. No, I, I, yeah, I agree with building
1: on that. Some resilience get that. It's the rest of the business that needs to become resilient in case of that scenario of the van hitting that poop. And then also, what you're going to see is a lot more of the AI being used offensively and defensively more offensively in not in a more societal perspective as well, because you've got all the elections and and you're also going to see it used in a lot more of the, from a warfare point of view as well, because the kinetic, the kinetic stuff that we're seeing, it goes hand in hand with, you know, cyber warfare, you know, you know they're going to take the power down anyway, go by and and let the tanks roll through. We've said it before, South alpha and all that jazz. But, so, yeah, definitely that. We'll see a bit more of that in 2024. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much my top three that we're going to see.
0: I want to add to that, actually. I think we need to look really objectively at our defense in depth and the models that we've been using for, for years and years and years now, which still, the model still works. The problem is, is... This, the the makeup of those different layers is changing dramatically and has changed dramatically. Things like policies and procedures haven't changed so much. You know, policy is a policy, procedure is a procedure. If you're doing it right, you should be updating it on a regular basis so anyway. That's an easy part of security to yeah. do. It's not exactly the most fun part of security to do because it's writing up policies and procedures and, and amending them. But I think our technical stack needs a complete review and we need to look objectively at how we assign security within our organizations. If you're still using solutions that are four or five years old, like endpoint security solutions from vendors who are, let's face it, not even really relevant anymore, you should probably be replacing them with something that can be a little bit better. And I'm not talking about the ones that are provided in the operating systems as well. Get an independent vendor who actually does this and creates this for a living. Security intelligence is going to become a really important part of larger organizations as well. It's out of the reach of smaller organizations, but larger organizations are going to have to have some kind of intel. But I think also one of the things, one of the additional things on top of looking at defense in depth, we either need to dramatically change our budgets to be able to afford a full set of security tooling to be able to do the jobs that, that that we're there to do or vendors need to stop being so bloody greedy and come down in price to a, to a level that the market can it's accept. Sustainable. And it's sustainable, absolutely. Because to be honest, I was speaking with a, a CISO the other day and I was talking to them about a GRC tool. And I said, you know, you really probably need to look at getting a GRC tool. And he said, look, Jim, with my budget, if I, one GRC tool, because they're usually modular as well, and you tend to pay through the nose for each module, one GRC tool with the relevant modules that I need is going to wipe out my budget. I've got nothing left. How am I going to do my pen testing? How am I going to do the endpoint security? Because IT aren't going to pay for it anymore. Or they'll want me to pay for, for the licenses, the products. And then we just start talking about training packages and the cost of training packages. It's crazy. It's crazy money in, you know, to get the InfoSec tooling from an industry that doesn't have enough money to be able to get all the tooling that it needs. And we can work great miracles as InfoSec people, but let's face it, we've, we've, we can't do it if we can't gain access to what we need in order to fix things. God forbid the first organization that brings out a security AI. They'll be selling it at $300 billion million trillion dollars a year that only four people can, can, can afford. <laughs> and everybody else is going to have to sit there and do it manually.
2: Yeah. I think about that, with that, though, like you say, but the smaller smaller businesses, smaller people, the, the cyber essential that can only go down that route, governments really need to push uh, a bit of training. And like you said about policies and procedures and security in depth, it doesn't have to be technical, does it? It just needs to be, you know, like you say, we've got policies and procedures. Okay, so our policy is everyone in our company, my very small company, you change your password every six months. Who makes sure that's done? No one. No no one makes sure that's done. Solowin's been changed a password for, for three years. <laughs> it was the worst password in the world. Act. I mean, some, something really, really simple. Simple, stupid. Let's just do the basics and then...
1: We're all looking at Ian now.
2: He hasn't got a counter because he knows I'm right.
1: He'd be simple, stupid. I mean, yeah. I left by that yeah if, it, if it's
0: effective and it works keep it simple by the end of the day simple stupid do you like a good kiss don't you ian i do <laughs> <laughs> no you're all of you all of you have really good points and it's a you know it's been an interesting debate and i think this is going to be a debate that we're going to probably wind up having several times over the course of next year because i think looking just at the changes in the last two to three months god it's getting faster and faster and we're having to adapt for quicker and quicker and i don't know how much how much more infosec people can cope with it because let's let's be honest we've got hardly any infosec people left now a lot of the older generation who are there you know my peers and above have all left they've all they've all retired covid saw see to that and there's a big hole in the center market of course i mean i was reading cyber security ventures the other day it's like there's, there's like 7 million jobs in just in the US alone in InfoSec that have gone unfilled. didn't realize it was that many. It's, it's not good enough anymore in any decent-sized organization just have one CISO working there. You've got to have a CISO. You've got to have a, a cybersecurity professional. You've got to have a policies and procedures person, GRC professional. You've got to have analysts now. And the amount of jobs that you see being stuck out on the job boards now for InfoSec you go back ten years, it was like, Oh, can I have an InfoSec manager, please? Yeah. You might get an InfoSec analyst. But I mean, what's your you know, your what's your title Ian? You know, head of risk?
1: Head of risk and privacy.
0: Head of risk and privacy. Go back ten years. There was no such thing as head of risk and privacy. No. There was the infosec person, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: InfoSec manager. That's what the CISO did, or that's what the, you know, InfoSec mm-hmm. manager did. I remember being an InfoSec
1: manager, and it was just me, and that was it. I, I was running the scene, the uh, do the governance, running yeah.
0: the I, ICMS, everything like that. You've got SOC analysts. Mm. You've got yeah. cybersecurity legal people now, which we never had till till the last year or two. There's so many job roles in InfoSec that have been created, and we just don't have the people to fill it, because there's not enough people have been skilled up to fill it. There's hope for Chris yet to skill up, then. Well... You can always read my book that I've got coming out. I'm going to shamelessly plug that one. Um, keep an eye out for that one. I'll give you. I'll send you a free copy, Chris. When's it out? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Hopefully, at the end, by the end of January. Can I have it signed, please? I will give you a signed copy. I will Excellent. give. I, I will give you a signed copy and not give Ian a signed copy. I'll make him pay for his. Uh, I will pay for my copy, Did. I will pay for my copy. <laughs> As
1: I'm not tight, my Dawson. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, we've reached the top of that hour. In fact, we've gone way over the top of that hour. As per usual, it's been fantastic speaking to you guys. You know, all joking aside, I think uh, I think we've all figured out that m- the next year, maybe two years, is going to be quite interesting in this space. 2023 was interesting in the in the fact that I think it's going to going to set set up a bit of a scene for 24 and 25. So. For all of you out there kind of watching this, obviously, you know, we recorded this literally 22nd of 12th, 2023. So by the time you see this, it'll be 2024. Probably expedite its release for that January sometime once the producers have got through to it. Uh, If you've got any comments or you've got anything that you want to kind of let us know about, maybe you want us to debate over, maybe you want us to beat us up in the comments section over something that, that Chris has said or maybe Ian has said. Obviously not what I've said being the most professional person here <laughs> I know and obviously the most egotistical and arrogant <laughs> uh, then, then please feel free and we'll be more than happy to uh, answer those and, and provide additional content based on, on some of the feedback we get some great feedback from DMs for over LinkedIn I get some great feedback as well from other different channels people emailing me all the time or emailing our press office to you know sort of marketing people so Please keep it up, and let's make twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five more interesting, shall we? Right. See you later, guys. Thank you very much. See you later. See you Look later. yourselves. Thank you for listening to the Rosewire podcast. If you like the podcast, if you love the podcast, please feel free to subscribe. And if you have any questions, please get in touch. Thank you very much, and have a great day.